Bradshaw, tear down. If you like your health care plan. Jim Paris Live, your source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right, super excited about uh, this interview, uh, this week's interview. And then next week, we've got uh, Erwin Lutzer here to talk about uh, we will not be silenced, you know, speaking out as a Christian in our culture and uh, joining us for the first time ever is Joe Dallas. And the name of Joe's new book, uh, it'll probably get all your attention real quickly. Christians in a cancel culture, speaking with truth and grace in a hostile world and joining us from Southern California live tonight. Joe Dallas, good to have you with us, sir. Good being here, Jim. Thank you for having me. We had a little trouble at the open of the show, which I don't know what happened. Like I've got I mean, this show is crazy because it goes to London first and then it goes up on satellite. I don't even know how it works, but I, I press all these buttons and, 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 it, and it happens. But in any case, uh, so one of the things I want to start with is. Uh, and I'll, I'm going to be honest. So if my pastor's listening, he might be upset, but I've gone to my pastor on occasion, especially in the last year or two and brought up the issue of, you know, why doesn't our church address cultural issues more? And my pastor's heart is more from a seeker perspective and he doesn't want to alienate people. And he and I kind of have a little bit of a disagreement on that, but this is not unusual. There are a lot of churches that feel called to reaching the unchurched and, you know, the unsaved, of course. And they feel that if they get involved at all in issues like abortion, uh, in issues like your child is being taught, they get to choose their own gender in kindergarten, these kinds of things, uh, they feel that that will alienate the population they're trying to reach. Uh, do you address that sort of friction, that that issue in your book at all? Jim, I address that friction, and I respect the nature of the friction and the heart of the pastor or of the lay believer who wants to win people and not alienate them. But let me respectfully suggest this. At some point, we will have to give an answer for what God has said about these critical issues. Because even if we don't want to address them, at some point the culture is going to demand an answer from us one way or another. Where do we stand? Um, in fact, most of the tensions that are building between the church and the culture are building because the culture is pressuring the church to change our position. The church is not so much pressuring the culture as much as the culture is pressuring the church. And it's not the culture in general. As you said, it's the cancel culture. There is the broad world which we live in, and then there are cultures within that world that are uh, at least friendly to Judeo-Christian principles. There are some that disagree with Judeo-Christian principles, but then there is a segment of the, of the world, a culture we call cancel culture, which is openly hostile. <clears throat> and that cancel culture really is forcing the issue. So uh, while I... I see no reason for us to needlessly seek contention with people. The fact is, our backs are going to be up against the wall at some point, and at some point we will have to say, 
what Peter said in the book of Acts when his back was against the wall, hey, we ought to obey God rather than man. Yeah, and so what happens is, like you're saying, if we don't uh, address the war sort of at the 50-yard line, then it ends up at our one-yard line, which is that it's it's not enough for transgender people, for example, to have uh, all of the same benefits as everyone else, which I think is fine and, and, and should have always been the case. I've never felt differently that they should, you know, as Americans, be able to enjoy a life of freedom and do all the things they want to do. Never felt any differently, never hated people who believed in that. But it goes to the point where then it begins to slowly creep where that's not good enough. Now you have to have a transgender person on your staff if you're a church in order to agree with them. And if you don't go along with that, that's when it ends up in court. That's that's when you end up with, you know, the uh, Christian baker who has to bake the cake for the ceremony he doesn't personally believe in. And they bring that door. They bring that war to our doorstep. Is that exactly what you're saying? That is exactly what I'm saying. And I would add to that, Jim, there is also the issue of people within our churches who are directly affected by these cultural issues. Hey, I was one of them. I was a gay activist from 1978 to 1984, and I came into the church after I had repented of homosexuality, and I said, okay, what do I do now? So the reason to address these issues is not just so we can say, hey, church, this is where we stand on this issue. It's also so we can disciple people. Let's remember, that's part of the Great Commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples. Now, you can't make disciples if you're not teaching truth. People want to know about gender, about sexuality, about abortion. People want to know, hey, I went to work yesterday and somebody told me I'm racist because I'm white. Does the Bible say that? People want to know about progressive Christianity because... Not only are these doctrinal issues that people are curious about, at a much more practical level, people are dealing with these issues either in their own families or with co-workers or with friends. So we really do need to be about the business, Jim, of equipping believers to be able to intelligently and biblically discuss these hot-button issues. What do you think about this trap that is set where if you disagree with someone, you're considered someone that hates that person, but it only works if you're a conservative that disagrees. It never works the reverse way. So, for example, if I say I believe marriage is between a man and a woman and I believe in monogamy and someone from the left comes out and says, no, I disagree. That's not hate on their part, but it's always considered hate if I disagree with any of their positions. And then who wants to hate? Once it's sort of defined that way, it makes a lot of people back down. Interesting how that works, isn't it? Yeah. You know? um, yeah, I, I think there is a place for ask, for trying to reason with people. Um, you know, there's preaching to people, which is good, and there's evangelizing people, that's great. Um, there's teaching, but there's also reasoning, doing the work of an apologist, a defender. And uh, when I'm having that kind of a discussion and somebody says, oh, Joe, why do you hate gays, <laughs> trans, lesbians, whatever, right, you know, whatever right. the long list? Uh, I, I like to point out, well, <clears throat> first of all, I have a worldview based on what I believe is a divinely inspired document, which is authoritative. 
And that worldview teaches me that we have a creator. He had certain intentions for us. And that behavior you just named falls short of those intentions. Now, that is my worldview, my position based on a worldview. Tell me this, my friend. Do you disagree with anybody? Well, of course I do. Do you hate the people you disagree with? Well, no, of course not. I just disagree with them. Thanks very much. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, that that is always See, the, that's reasoning yeah, with people. Yeah, yeah, that, and you've got to you've got to be willing to go there. Now, some of these cancel culture stories I find really really interesting because um, in some cases they they don't even make any sense. Um, the the one that stands out to me is uh, is Megan Kelly, who I've not always been a fan of Megan Kelly. Um, she's, you know, sometimes surprisingly, uh, you know, taking some very liberal positions. But but she was on her show once and talked about, I think, as a teenager or something, uh, wearing blackface to be a black person i think she was diana ross or something she addressed and her whole career was basically ended over that and then after that happened all of these other dozens of examples came out of other liberals that had worn blackface and nothing was done about that it's so selective and i saw this one college professor they went back over 30 years into his writings and found something that was more than 30 years old and I, i think to myself Wow. Will any of us uh, are any of us going to really be safe in the future if we're published, if we're doing YouTube videos, if we're on Twitter? I mean, even if you just inadvertently say something, uh, who knows what the culture is going to be in 10 years? I mean, sometimes I complain about robots on, you know, that everything's gone robotic and technology. I mean, in 10 years, that could be considered like hate speech. And robots could have rights that I violated that I didn't even know existed at the time that I said those things. It seems like there's an. And you're on, guilty th- of robophobia. I, I am. Yeah, there, there is no statute of limitations. They can go all the way back to the day you were born. Isn't that right? Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, this is reminiscent of the French Revolution uh, during the reign of terror, uh, a portion of that revolution. Why anyone who at any time had had any sort of connection with anyone who was deemed an aristocrat. Uh, It didn't matter when that was or how long ago it was. That alone uh, could have you arrested and put to the guillotine the next day. And so I I think that we are, among other things, at least I say we, a large part of American culture has become addicted to self-righteousness addicted to the outrage that goes along with self-righteousness. And I think people get a real manic high out of looking for a past transgression, according, of course, to their ever-changing definition of transgression, (laughs) on the part of anybody they don't like. And if you have that witch hunt mentality, you can be sure, Jim, you're going to find something somebody said um, that, that you could interpret as offensive no matter what. So I I think that, among other things, we have to accept this, and this is a fact. We are living in a season of madness. I mean, we have all sat down at the Mad Hatter's Tea Party, and there you are. Now, I think in a time of madness, more than ever, you have to get back to basics. Is there such a thing as truth? If so, what is it? How do we both live it and then defend it? And um, I think that there is going to be our challenge, because if I may, uh, veer off topic a little bit. I do think the Christian church must do some serious self-examination about our own purity. 
One of the reasons I believe we have lost ground, credibility ground in the culture, is that we too often have not lived up to the standards that we are now trying to defend. So if we say we believe in the sanctity of marriage, if we say we believe in monogamy, we believe in moral purity, then we have to do something about the completely unacceptable number of believers who view Internet pornography or who have affairs or who sleep together before marriage. Uh, you can't possibly um, uh, maintain moral authority if there's serious moral compromise in our own ranks. That's what got Achan uh, killed was because his private sin had weakened all of Israel. And I think that we are seeing that dynamic at play as well. So every problem we're having with cancel culture, I believe, is not the fault of cancel culture. I do think we need to look at ourselves as well. There's also this whole idea of no politics from the pulpit, no politics in church. And that trap that's been laid then makes everything political. So once you buy into that as a boundary, then what the left will do is start depositing all of these cultural issues into that bucket. So the first one, of course, would be abortion. So we're not going to address abortion from the pulpit because that's political. How many times uh, are you hearing that as the excuse of, of church leadership to not get into what are legitimate biblical and cultural issues because they are considered political? Well, I'm hearing that all too often, and I think a lot of our listeners are nodding even as you and I say that, Jim. Uh, the fact is, a moral issue may be political, but it is still a moral issue. Um, and again, you have to look at the massive double standard here. Racism is a moral issue. The Bible has quite a bit to say about the evil of believing that one race is superior to the other. Now, I don't hear anybody complaining if we rail against racism from the pulpit, which we should. I don't hear anybody on the left complaining, oh, no, that's a moral issue or that's a political issue. You shouldn't talk about it. Oh, they're quite willing to have us talk about that. So it's almost as though the cancel culture is telling us which sins we may or may not preach against. But again, let's not be naive. If we think that by being silent on these issues, that will get cancel culture to leave us alone. We are fooling ourselves. Cancel culture is not just about silencing us, Jim. It's about converting us. First, cancel culture will say, don't talk politics from the pulpit. Uh, if you talk politics from the pulpit, you're mixing religion and politics. You'll not be seeker sensitive. People will be turned off and you won't be able to get anybody in your church. And so a lot of I believe naive people are going, oh, okay, we won't talk about that. For a while, that will satisfy, that will pacify, but not for long. At some point, cancel culture will come to the church and say, you must take a pro-choice stand for the sake of women. You must take a pro-LGBTQ stand for the sake of the persecuted lesbians and gays and transgender people. You must take a stand on uh, these moral issues uh, that you used to be silent about. We will no longer let you be silent. You have to stand with us. If you're not with us, we consider you to be against us. Jim, again, let's not kid ourselves. That is the future. So if we allow ourselves to be silenced out of taking clear positions, that silence is going to be seen as uh, a weakness, a passivity, and it will set a precedent by which the church says to the culture, 
we hereby give you permission to tell us what we may or may not say. And let me put this very plainly. That means that the church will abdicate her role as the light of the world, and we will tell the world that it may now become the light of the church. That is the direction we're going if these trends continue. We saw a really interesting sort of split um, when we had this last election. There was a lot of Christian leaders that came out and said, I'm not going to support Trump. And uh, it was it was funny the other day I, w- I was up at the grocery store and I was looking at the price of a little tiny package of ground beef. And I said to the butcher, he was stocking the shelf. I said, man, I could go for a mean tweet right now and half this price. <laughs> and he turned and looked at me and laughed. And he said, I said that exact same thing uh, on Twitter. And I wonder this whole cancel culture thing. I think all of us as Christians who supported Trump's values in terms of, you know, him supporting our values as Christians. I think we all were uncomfortable with a lot of things that he did. But at the same time, I'd rather have someone that's a little bit like a bull in a china shop that represents my values than to say, because he's like that, I'm going to go to this other extreme. Uh, and we had a lot of strange sort of hair splitting where they would say, well, you know, Trump's had three marriages, so he's not pure. I'm going to vote for this pro-abortion person over here. Um, how do you how much do you think Trump contributed to this whole idea uh, with his sort of uh, brash tone, his mean tweets, uh, a Christian saying, well, we can't be like Trump because, you know, we can't be mean like that and, and be in people's face like that. So we've got to go to this other side and be sort of super, um, you know, passive and and try to be nice. And, and we saw that happen. We saw Christianity Today uh, split off and uh, uh, John <coughs> Piper, yeah. uh, uh, so many Christian leaders sort of split off. Uh, Trump was sort of the opposite of cancel culture, but not to ramble. Uh, what do you think, uh, you know, was the effect there of, of four years of Trump and and sort of this idea now that we can't be like Trump and speak our minds and speak out on issues? Well, again, Jim, let's not be naive. This would have happened no matter who the Republican president was. The attacking of the president as a hate monger, as a terrible person, as an idiot, as a whatever, that started before Trump ever came along. Uh, George W. Bush was subject to a lot of that as well, and uh, certainly Ronald Reagan was as well. I was vehemently opposed to many of the things Trump said and did. I openly criticized a number of statements he made. I also openly uh, posted on my blog the reasons I voted for him twice. I do believe we would be in better shape today if he was in office. I have been unapologetically a Trump supporter without being a Trump blind follower. And to be honest, I resent the way so often those of us who voted for Trump are painted as some sort of stupid cultist who just thought Trump was the Messiah and uh, (laughs) finally followed him. That's nonsense. It's very simple. When you elect a president, you are not choosing a pastor. You are electing the person, you are voting, I should say, for the person whose principles, whose policies most align with your own. Now, I respect the fact that there were Christians who felt that Trump's policies did not align with theirs. I disagree with them, but I respect that. What I don't respect is that nonsensical um, attitude of saying that if you did vote for him, you approved of everything he said and did, 
and or that you were a blindly hateful person. Now, I do not think that that his tone was befitting of a man in his position. I wish that he would have paid more attention to his rhetoric, because I believe that helped him to lose the election, and I wanted him to win the election. I know there are many other reasons that contributed, and I've, I've got my own ideas about that, too. But, um, but the bottom line is this. Um, we are naive if we think that the political social left would not have painted any conservative president in the same colors they painted Trump. Trump certainly helped them along at times. But you watch um, in this next election, even during the midterms, we'll see this. We, we've seen it already, but we'll certainly see it during the next presidential election. Any Republican candidate will be tarred and feathered with the bigot, hateful, homophobe, sexist, etc. label that Trump was. And uh, believe me, that division was well in place before he ever came along. Did he aggravate it? Yes, I think he did. But uh, I, I will say this, I admire much about the man. I appreciate much of what he did for the country. And as I said, I unapologetically um, uh, voted for him. And I will still unapologetically say we would be in better shape today if he was still in office. That said, I don't believe that, you know, a true Christian would have to vote for Trump. <laughs> Just I will only say this Christian did. And I believe my reasons were valid. This is a question coming in from someone listening right now in Dallas. Uh, and your name is is Dallas. So let's take this question. <laughs> yeah. OK, so uh, they want to know uh, your does your book talk about covid uh, and the vaccine? And, you know, everybody knows I did get the vaccine and there's some reasons why I did because of some older folks that I I'm around once a week. I, I decided to do it. My wife did not get the vaccine, but it seems like there's probably no greater issue as this person's asking in this email than the whole COVID and the vaccine and all that. You cannot disagree. You cannot even post medically accurate facts or statistics that go against the narrative that everyone should have the vaccine, no exception, that that no one is getting and having adverse reactions. If you post anything that goes outside of that narrative, uh, you'll lose your Facebook, you'll lose your YouTube. Do you talk about that in the book? Uh, no, and I, I do thank you, listener, for that question. It's a relevant one. But unfortunately, although my book was just released a few months ago, it was written before we were dealing with a vaccine controversy. <laughs> right, right. And all that Those works. controversies fit right in with the nature of the book. What I have tried to talk about in the book is how we can respond to government overreach. Because uh, I think there are valid reasons to get the vaccine. I think there are valid reasons not to. My wife and I chose to get it because for my ministry... I do uh, a fair amount of traveling, and I did not think this was a hill to die on. I resent the government telling people they have to be vaccinated, but I chose to comply, and I don't regret that. That's a matter of conscience, though. And uh, what I, I do deeply resent is the precedent being set by which the government can be this heavy-handed with people, make these demands, and uh, the precedent thereby being, the government may now say, we believe that there is a danger, therefore we will stop your lives until we are satisfied that the danger is past. That is a dangerous precedent. 
And uh, that concerns me. And, and I think the immaturity also concerns me of people who will actually, you know, break fellowship over an issue like this. If you in good conscience believe you should not receive the vaccine, you should not receive it. If you do believe in good conscience, you should make that choice, then that's what you should do, like Paul told the Romans. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Final question, and then we'll give you a minute or two to talk about uh, where people can get the book, your website, speaking engagements, all that kind of thing. Um, someone wants to know about the educational system. And I was going to ask this question anyway, but it seems to me like there's no greater uh, you know, forum than than the you know the schools, the colleges where this cancel culture exists, and uh, it it seems like every day you're hearing stories about people losing their jobs, professorships being ended. Uh, you've got public events that are scheduled for months in advance; those are canceled because the narrative doesn't you know fit. It doesn't fit the narrative. Uh, talk about the culture within education today. And, and how that is being impacted by the cancel culture concept. Well, there's no question that uh, the, the uh, academic institutions are, they've been taken over by tyrants. There's no, I, I think that's a very fair way to put it. The, the, the overreach of the academic leadership is tyrannical. However, um, I believe that we are called as believers to take a stand for justice. Now, before I sound like I'm telling everybody to go out on march, let me explain that. Um, when Paul, as a Roman citizen, was arrested, and then he was being prepared to be examined with a scourge, he stood on his rights as a Roman citizen and said, no, you don't do that. That's wrong. And I'm real grateful Luke was inspired by God to put that small story in uh, the account of the early church, because that tells me that the great apostle himself would look at the laws of man as well as the laws of God and would say, hey, this is, we would say in America, unconstitutional, meaning this violates the letter of the law that governs this nation, and so I'm going to say no. Now, I believe there's a place for doing that in academia. Thank God for the speakers who are willing to go onto university campuses and talk about these issues despite the heat. If we don't stand up to bullies, we needn't be surprised when bullies take over our lives, because they will. That is their nature. The good news is, by the grace of God, we can withstand them and we can impact change as we do so, because we're just now starting to see this, Jim. I'm sure you've noticed when people stand up to the bullies, as many parents are now standing up to their local board of education and saying no there is a ripple effect. It emboldens other people, and that's how change happens. But even if change doesn't happen, let's remember this. We cannot determine the success or failure of our speaking out just by the way we are received. The Old Testament prophets were not received well. They were received poorly. Most of the apostles died the deaths of martyrs. And Jesus himself said, hey, you're not above your master, okay? You serve me, guess what? They hated me, they're going to hate you. That's going to happen. And much of what God Jesus killed, although obviously it was the nation of God that the Lamb of God be sacrificed for the sins of the world, if you look at it in the natural and the political, what got him killed? His speech. What he said. Yes. Now, much of what he said was distorted. They lied about it, but the point is they used his words against him. That's what we're seeing today. It's an old trick. It happened to him. It happens to us. Let's not back down just because at times we get the negative reaction. 
When we stand before God, we will be asked how faithfully we stewarded the truth, not how well we were received. The book is Christians in a Cancel Culture, Speaking with Truth and Grace in a Hostile World. It is published by Harvest House Publishers. I'm looking at the page here on Amazon. Uh, tell us, uh, Joe, what else, uh, you know, where else people can get it? Is this in Christian bookstores, sure. uh, regular Barnes and Noble, those Christian, kind of places, too? Yes, all of the retailers are carrying it. Ironically, I have been banned by Amazon. My first book was banned by them just a couple of years ago, but they're carrying this one. But if people want to order anything from me, they can go to my website, joedallas.com, just my name.com, joedallas.com. I have a weekly podcast that your listeners can subscribe to uh, that airs every uh, Friday. And uh, I also have my, uh, uh, of course, my counseling services. People can find out how to sign up if they want to make an appointment to deal with some of these things. Also, uh, for speaking engagements and other products and resources, that's where they can reach me, joedallas.com. Very good. And say hello to uh, my old friend, Bob Hawkins, the next time you talk to him. He published uh, several books for me. That was years ago. Uh, but we did uh, quite a bit of uh, publishing with him at one time. Absolutely. He's a terrific guy, and I'll be glad to pass that on. He yeah. sure is. God bless you, sir. Keep up the great work. Joe Dallas will definitely have you back again. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. Now, that's a guy that uh, doesn't mince his words and speaks out. And uh, who knows <laughs> if this episode's going to get uh, taken offline. We'll have to see uh, how fast uh, they try to censor this. Uh, in any case, uh, what, what a topic, right? Cancel culture. We are in a cancel culture. A great book to read. And I know with the holidays coming up, a lot of people looking for gift ideas. That would be an interesting one uh, to uh, open up under the Christmas tree, especially if you have some progressives and liberals uh, in your family circle. Uh, that would be a fun book uh, to bring out to at Christmas dinner. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. We'll talk to you next time. So long, everybody.